0: Welcome to Season 7 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Are you passionate about leadership education? Do you want to expand your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning and program design? Then this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University.
1: And I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we're very excited about this episode of the Leadership Educator podcast. So in our seventh season here, we've shifted our focus just a bit to advancing the leadership education community of practice through exploring exemplary mentor-mentee relationships in the field, uh, as well as learning from scholars who might write or speak or develop mentor programs um, in their own right in higher education in some of their spaces. We've been asking the question How do mentors help leadership educators who design and facilitate leadership programs, conduct research, and teach? Uh, But we've also stemmed out a bit and talked with folks that are working specifically with graduate students um, and then perhaps even undergraduate students, right?
0: Yeah, definitely very helpful conversation. So today we're joined by Kelsey Hirsch, Dr. Summer Odom, and Dr. Lori Moore from Texas A&M University's College of Agricultural Leadership, Education, and Communication. Kelsey is a professional academic advisor, and Summer and Lori are both associate professors. Lori is also the associate department head for undergraduate programs. Recently, Kelsey, Summer, and Lori published the article, An Examination of the Impact of Peer Mentoring on First-Generation College Student Peer Mentors' Development of the Five Practices of Exemplary Leaders, in the Journal of Leadership Education. This study fits perfectly with our theme this season, and we're excited to learn a bit more about what y'all learned about first-generation college student peer mentors'
2: leadership development.
0: Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to to have y'all here, and 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 to see it on uh, on Zoom here. And so it, it's interesting because I think about my first entrance into leadership education. One of my first conferences ever was 2011 Association of Leadership Educators. And I'm pretty, I know Summer was there and that was the Denver conference. I'm pretty sure I met Lori there as well. You know, and so as I walked down memory lane, um, it's just interesting to how things kind of come full circle and having you all on the show is really great. And I uh, had the opportunity to visit College Station in uh, right around just a couple months after that that conference. It was really nice to to see that campus and and be out there during that time period. And oh my oh my gosh, does it get hot in August in College Station? And uh, <laughs> and I remember um, and one of your colleagues too. I had one of the the funniest interactions. I still still tell the story because people will talk about when we're traveling and things at conferences around like different things you're dealing with at airports and what have you. And I remember when I was on my way. I guess what is it? You go through? Is it through Dallas you have to go through to get to College Station? It's like the African only way American, in and out.
2: Yeah, Dallas.
1: And so um, I remember calling one of your colleagues, Barry Boy, because I was running late. Something had been delayed a little bit. And uh, so the last thing I said to him was, hey, you know, it's delayed about an hour and 20 minutes. And um, I said, you know, he's like, oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. And I said, All right, I'll see you at ground transportation. And he said, ah, yeah, ground transportation. And he hung up. And I was like, why is that so funny? And so when I landed in College Station, I realized why that was so funny. Um, it's, it's like one gate, right? Maybe two. Um, and then- yeah. And then when I flew out, it was uh, the same person, you know, checked me in and took my checked l- luggage that I met me at security. And then the same person took my ticket when I was getting on the plane. And so I just, I said, that's, the, that's delightful. It's a lot of charm. It definitely uh, has, it's, it's College Station. I totally get it.
2: The airport <laughs> so. has not grown since your visit.
1: I believe it. I believe it. <laughs>
2: But Dan, that should be familiar. So
0: oftentimes on this show, we talk about both of us being in Tallahassee. And I remember the same thing. My my brother and sister, we're originally from New Jersey. They came to visit and they were just floored that there was like two gates, you know, and, and the same person checked you in, in very clearly. So, but the nice part of having and living in a college town, right? Um, so so Dan, share a little bit about how y'all met. This is our first time interacting. And so I'm really curious about how did y'all meet and how did the collaboration and study come about um, from you know, your interaction?
3: Um, so I did my undergraduate at Texas A&M in agricultural leadership and development and met Dr. Odom and Dr. Moore uh, as an undergraduate student. And they were both very impactful in my study um, and part of the reason I decided that maybe I could go to grad school and that I could spend time uh, continuing to study leadership education. And so I did my first ever true research project under Dr. Odom and then stayed on for my graduate work. Uh, and worked closely with both of them. And well, then Kelsey, you also worked with the
4: FOCUS program. As yeah. you know, so maybe talk a little bit about that and how you got the idea for, for doing this study.
3: So when I decided that I would go to grad school, I needed to find some type of of job and way to stay involved um, and also help fund grad school. And I've always had a passion for leadership development, and it was one of those things that in my life, I just remember, worked out perfectly, and I found a job posting to work with undergraduate students in the focused learning community, which served first-generation college students in a high-impact program. Um, There was through scholarship and a learning community. And so, in that, I really got to see for the first time student development uh, kind of in a full circle way. They come in as freshmen, not knowing much about what they're really wanting to do or wanting to get out of their experience at end. They just know a degree is the end goal. And then seeing these freshmen, these 18 year olds, grow into a position where they want to give back, they want to serve incoming freshmen. Um, and in that, I wanted to explore more of why do they want to do this and what encourages them to spend their time as undergraduate students serving others as students.
0: And so how did y'all get connected together? So that's Kelsey's intro, but how did you and and Summer and Lori, how did y'all get interested in this?
4: Yeah, so as Kelsey mentioned, she was an undergraduate in our department and she uh was in our, our master's program and so this was actually her thesis um this this paper the study was was her thesis project and um you know just having conversations with kelsey i was i was her chair of a committee and um about what we wanted to to look at what she wanted to look at would you know my where our interests aligned and um i mean I, I was a first generation college student as well so I could relate to to that aspect of it. Um, and I just love Kelsey. I mean she's she's um very she's authentic, she's focused, um she's she's genuine. Uh, she really had interest and she just you know loved the the students that were um, in her groups that she worked with. And so we we just looked at, you know, how can we Make sense of what what she's doing and this this leadership that is occurring with these students, but how do we document it? How do we, you know, look at what's going on? So, so um, that's kind of our our connection.
2: So D- Dan, you mentioned your first ALE conference in Denver. My first ALE conference was back way back. I'm, I'm you know feel like the the FFA advisor being older than the rest of you, right? So um, my first ALE conference was in uh, Minneapolis in two thousand one. And so when I was a PhD student at the University of Florida, that's Dr. Rick Rudd introduced me to ALE, and that had been a part of my professional development throughout graduate school and in my first faculty position. And I think I met Dr. Odom while I was still at the University of Idaho at ALE and things like that. And then when I came to A&M in 2008, she was still in the department in a different role And so we started kind of collaborating on some things. We both kind of had an interest in delivery strategies and things that impact college students. Um, And for the first 12 years I was here, I worked with another uh, learning community, the Leadership Living Learning Community. And so I had that same kind of interest that Dr. Odom did in college student development. I am not a first-generation college student, but I saw the impact that our uh, learning community programs had on first generation college students. And so when Dr. Odom and Kelsey said, Hey, we have this idea. What do you think? I was all on board.
3: I think it yeah.
4: was at the TANA conference, Lori, that you and I met. Probably, yeah. Nicole Stedman said, Hey, I've got this friend that's going to join us. And yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, that,
2: that would have been what, 2006 ish, 2005, six, somewhere around there. It was a couple years before I came to a and I moved here in 2008.
1: Yeah, She's like the great connector among like the agricultural leadership programs. It's kind of funny. I'm, I'm trying to think of like, who do I compare her to? Because Nicole's come up in other podcast interviews that we've done. And even recently, I, I kind of think like, I think about like Kathy Guthrie and Susan Kamavez and like, kind of like the student affairs leadership kind of spaces. And then you've got Nicole, who's just kind of, you know, this great connector, particularly when I think she was president of ALE when I went to at that conference. I think that would have been that year because Tony, I remember, uh, yeah, because I remember seeing the video because the following year 2012 was the Key West conference for ALE and I remember at the at the closing lunch or whatever it was in Denver watching that video that Tony had put together of him like interviewing random people on the street in Key West been asking them like about like what it, about like what leadership was or so I don't know what he was asking them but it, it was c- kind of like straight out of like MTV or or like you know just like a late night talk show the approach that he was taking and just going all right this is this is a fun association of people this is going to be all right as I'm kind of entering academia as a very 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 young young in my career at that point and so but yeah Nicole kind of all all roads kind of leading to to her and the influence she's had in the field and how generous she's been with connecting folks so and it's interesting to before
0: you jump in yeah. Dan. I, it, I feel like I'm late to the Nicole party. So I just (laughs) saw her for the first time at, at ILA last month. And I was like, floored during her session, I was like taking notes. She was coaching some doc students and I was like, oh yeah, this is great stuff. Great stuff. And I remember writing down, like, I have to talk to her. And then I feel like every day since someone has mentioned Nicole Stedman and I'm like, okay, universe, like I get it. I will randomly call her and say that she's now popped up. So we got to be friends.
2: So the world is such a small place. Nicole and I were in graduate school in Florida together. And then she took a job here at Texas A&M while I was in Idaho. And then when she moved back to Florida, the job that I ultimately came to A&M to do was the one she vacated. So she had been coordinating with um, another faculty member here, the Leadership Living Learning Community. So such a small world. We're all connected.
0: Yeah. Well, you got there in 2008. I did. So I left. I lived in Austin. I worked at UT, the other Texas institution, and I left in two thousand and eight. So we could have like crossed paths at some point in the in Central Texas.
2: Yeah, small world.
1: It really is. And and, and I'm thinking too about so what what kind of brought y'all together with some of these different overlaps, as well as some of the experiences you shared about having some first generation experiences yourself. How much of an influence do you think that had on making that an emphasis of this study?
3: So while first-generation college student is not an identity that I personally hold, the child of two first-generation college students, and it's something that did play a big role in my life, education was talked about at the dinner table, and it was uh, encouraged, and it was an exciting time um, in conversations. And I wanted to work closely with first-generation college students to provide support in a way that um, they may not have in their daily lives and not trying to replace anything or you know provide anything super new, but just to give a space that they could come for any type of resource that they needed or any conversation, which is what really drew me to the focused learning community and that they were such an open community and so proud of who they were and what they were accomplishing that you just couldn't help but want to give your all to that group. And so while it's not an identity I hold, it's an identity and and a group that I very much want to support in any way that I can. And having the opportunity to do that was, was the highlight of, of my career so far. And I would just add as a, as a first generation college student
4: myself, you know, I, I can remember being, being in college and, I wasn't thinking of I'm going to develop as a leader in college because I was just trying to, you know, pass my classes. And it was like, I cannot fail. I mean, it was, it was everything I could uh, not, I, I did really good. I mean, I, I, I made really you know good grades and, and stuff, but I wasn't, um, you know, as active in the, the leadership role. I was in organizations and stuff, but I think looking back, I see like, wow, this is a great group of students and they have this you know, people just need to encourage them. People just need to to tell them that they are developing leadership, and that leadership can be nurtured um, through the experiences that that they're having. So I took a big interest when you know Kelsey told me she was working with that group, and I I thought that's that's really cool. I, I'm I want to get involved in this.
1: Yeah, no, that that helps it from like a contextual perspective. So why? Five practices of exemplary leadership. I mean, the Kuzen and Posner leadership challenge model has been around since the late '80s. One of the most widely used models in uh, student leadership development, hands down. Um, and there's plenty of plenty of literature to, to support that. In fact, I remember when I did some of my early research on instructional strategy use, and of the you know a thousand and, and change that responded to some of the later surveys that I did, I was asking folks around what. Textbook? Do you use in the class that you're kind of using as a jump point for taking the survey? And it was one of the top five most widely used textbooks in the field. And so, is that why, or why choose that model as you approached this this study? And you know what we all hoping to find out as you jumped in.
3: Part of what really drove this model for me was I was asked um, during a training for um, focus your mentors to facilitate um, leadership education. Uh, and I was very excited because this is you know, my passion and what I wanted to do, but I was very nervous to stand in front of a group of peer mentors and try to explain leadership, which is such a, a great concept and something they were doing in their daily lives, but maybe weren't recognizing. And I really thought that um, the five practices was, a wonderful way to expose them to peer mentorship and leadership because it gave a list of these are five practices that exemplary leaders exhibit you know, in their leadership um, when they talk about and reflect on those experiences. And it was almost in a way to lay out for them what leadership was for those who hadn't had any formal um, education in leadership. So it was kind of a very nice way to introduce them to it and it just kind of grew from there and how do we use those five practices and are you using if not why not do you could you use them and so it was a way to really just start the conversation about leadership
4: i I think the model is i mean it's it is simplistic but it it's a great starting framework for thinking about leadership right and I, i love how kuz and posner frame it in terms of these are everyday behaviors and so, you may not recognize that you are being a leader, but if you are doing these behaviors, you probably seen as a leader or more likely to be seen as a leader. So, I think I like the, the usefulness of that, of that model, and I think it was, like you know, Kelsey said, I mean, it was a, a, an easy model to, to share with students and to help them uh, learn from and develop from.
0: You know, one of the things Dan and I have talked a lot about behind the scenes is um, the leadership challenge, and uh, the thing I like about it is I know that it. I know that other schools are using it. I know that when my students are engaging with students that have gone to leadership programs at, like, you know, I'm in Philly at any of the Philly schools, and we're all using it. Then when they get to work or internships, they're going to have some common language around leadership that they can use, and they can say, "Oh yeah, we talked about that program too." And you know, I, I feel like I, I wonder where kind of like the start of that. Model use music models usage in college started. like we've kind of talked about that too. I took over um, Temple's leadership office in twenty twelve and was just kind of told everybody's using it. And I never questioned it, right? But but the way you share it, it's like you're right, it's an easy entry. It's common language. You don't have to have a position to, you know, see yourself as a leader. So it's very susceptible to, to kind of talking to students, especially first gen students who, you know, come with just different understandings of leadership. Um, it, it's kind of helpful to have that conversation. Um, one of the things, though, that we're really interested in from y'all is kind of like, what insights did you take away from like writing up the finding and recommendations? So like you you, you know did a lot of discovery, like what now should people be doing um, with, you know, uh, leadership challenge, mentoring and, and the five practices?
3: Very good question. It's a thing um, I think about often as I still work with a group of peer mentors and encouraging them to continue Uh, we still talk about, I still talk about this and, and introduce it to my peer mentors, but I really think that something that interests me is the idea of that not every peer mentor is a peer mentor because they had an exemplary peer mentor. And something that I found, and one of the reflections that sticks out to me to this day is I became a peer mentor because I wanted to encourage others um, in a way that my peer mentor didn't. And so I think that's something that, I really found interesting and we focus so much on positive aspects of peer mentoring and this idea that all mentoring relationships are great and positive, but one out of our sample had mentioned, I did this because I wanted to improve the experience that I, had. and so that's something I found interesting. And I think that there's room to to dive into that a little deeper.
2: I, I, I think that there's, there's something that, that, that Kelsey and Summer and I have all kind of put together is the peer mentor, it's supposed to be an experience that transforms not only the student that the peer mentor is working with, but with but the peer mentor as well. And sometimes, you know, Dr. Odom said, I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about my own leadership development as a first generation student. I was thinking about passing my classes and I was thinking about doing what I needed to do to do this. And so I think sometimes thinking about the the leadership challenge and the five practices, especially with first-generation peer mentors, it's a way to help them recognize the transformation that's taking place within themselves. And we know that not every peer mentor is as effective as the next peer mentor, but if we can help them recognize what they're getting out of the relationship, as well as the value add that they're adding to the people that they're working with, I think that was a key for for all of us. And something we continue to keep thinking about is what are those peer mentors exactly gaining and how do we help them articulate what they're gaining within the context?
0: I also wonder too, though, like, so we talk about it like now and in college, right? But something Dan and I have learned this season is that peer mentoring happens long after you graduate. And I wonder if this is just planting seeds of good behavior for working with your network. Like I know with my students, they're always concerned about how do I build relationships? How do I network, you know, in this post start of COVID life? And it feels like the structure of peer mentoring and the taking away of in engaging and trying to help someone else, I can also benefit are all kind of just good practices that they'll um, just naturally carry not just through college, but into the workplace and into their relationships. I also tell my students like, you know, they all expect to meet their best friend the first day. And these feel like programs where you start out kind of building these like professional relationships, like around academia and like around involvement, but they then transfer into more personal spaces and they kind of help you create this relationship web instead of the, I need this mentor or this faculty has to lead me. It kind of expands the relationships that they can have and makes them look at, at their peers in a way that is more meaningful and maybe less um, just like for social purposes or just for, you know, class purposes. It, it helps them really develop the idea of how do we build relationships.
3: relationship. I think that's a really interesting point because at the beginning of, of this, I've I was wondering if I would find that mentoring um, was almost a transactional, prescribed relationship. I will mentor you. I will give you advice. This is this is how I got to where I am, and this is what you should model. And I was really excited and interested to find that it very much became transformational, like we've talked about, um, and that it did start with this. For this group in particular, you will be in this course. You will have. Um, a group of about 25 freshmen and three peer mentors. Um, And so that's where I was wondering like, will this become very um, transactional or prescribed? Uh, But it wasn't the case at all in that they very much built a community for themselves around those peer mentors and what they were interested in. And when we talk about the five practices and inspiring a shared vision, peer mentors were doing that without realizing that's maybe what they were doing when getting the freshman involved. And then it would build and it became, you know, almost a, a status and an honor to be a freshman who became a first-year peer mentor. And then to develop those skills further. And so it was a, it was neat to be able to be involved long enough to see a cycle go from freshman to returning peer mentor.
1: So I'm curious. So this this freshman success program that that these students were were a part of. I guess kind of two questions, like what type of preparation or training were these students provided around being a peer mentor as a result of that? Like, what did you learn from some of that training or workshopping or or development? Because I imagine there has to be some, you're not just going to throw these students to the wolves like you do for fish camp, right? What advice would you give to to folks that are trying to run these programs uh, or to anyone for that matter, I guess, that's trying to develop people to be better peer mentors?
3: I never grew more as an individual than I did when preparing for camp mentor, um, which is a three day high, high touch impact camp that we facilitate for the pure force. Uh, they do that in August before their freshmen move in and at that camp. We go over personal leadership style. We talk about conflict resolution. Uh, Because your team is not going to be on the same page every day, um, or, you know, you have to be able to have tough conversations as undergraduate students and peer leaders. So we talk about um, conflict resolution, we talk about time management as a peer mentor, because that looks different now. You have offered your time, and you have somebody who needs you to be there for them at certain times. So in those three days, um, we talk about, you know, what is it to... Speak one-on-one with an incoming freshman who uh, needs encouragement but also needs a little bit of challenge uh, and so there's plenty of um, opportunity for them to learn but i will say uh, one thing i really didn't understand was the importance of giving returning peer mentors the space to create their own training sessions and They've been in that situation more recently than I would have been, or, you know, some of us may have been when developing these training sessions. And I really enjoyed giving, having the ability and having the faith in my peer mentors and their experience to say, Hey, you three have done this. This is now your third year. What do you wish you had known? And how do you want to present that?
0: That freedom sounds really beautiful, like a beautiful part of the experience and the level of trust that you've developed in that internal relationship for sure. In closing, like, is there anything else that maybe y'all didn't share that you want to make sure our audience knows around the the research, around the study?
2: One thing I would probably say that obviously we got an impact out of this from being able to study the, the situation and being able to, to do some research on it and draw some conclusions. But I think also of importance is the impact it had on the peer mentors that were participants in the study. Because at the end of it, they weren't just necessarily able to talk about whether or not leadership occurred, but they were able to contextualize it and talk about it in different vocabulary. Lauren, you mentioned having that uniform or that um, consistent vocabulary so that when they move on to the next thing in their life, they were able to talk about not just, well, I develop leadership, but they're able to articulate in a much deeper and more thoughtful and much more authentic manner how that leadership was developed and how that was important to them and their so I, I think it's important not just to focus on the, the reward that we got from doing the, the study in terms of a published article, there was intrinsic reward for us as leadership educators, and there was also reward for the participants. And isn't that the goal of research, is to make sure that the participants benefit as much as, as everybody else and work to the profession?
4: Well, and I think, you know, one thing that could be done with this study, we didn't, Corey mentioned about the impact on the participants you know, with the leadership practices, you can do a 360 evaluation, right? So, I mean, that's something that, that could be done to look at, you know, just for the peer mentors to get that feedback from their, their peers to see what they were, uh, how they saw them as themselves as leaders. Um, so I think that's one one other aspect that could be looked at from, from this study. Um, also, you know, where do peer mentors go from this? Like, what did they learn through this experience? But where are they five years down the road? Like, did this experience influence their leadership at all? And I mean, I think in leadership in general, we need more studies that not long like longitudinal studies, I guess, that, that look at those aspects. So that's what I would add.
1: Yeah, thank you. This has been such a fascinating conversation. It's so interesting to, to learn about what you all found investigating this this particular population. And it's and, and why not, right? Why not encourage uh, students early on in their educational journeys and uh, at the post-secondary level to take on some of these roles and, uh, and and peer mentoring in particular. So, well, thank you so much, Kelsey, Summer, and Laura. It was just great to to chat with you today. Definitely appreciate your time, contributions to uh, the field of leadership and also the science of, of peer mentoring. And wish you all the best as you push through the registration season and, uh, and close out your semesters. Thank you.
3: Thank you thank very much. You. Thanks for having us. Enjoy.
1: Do you connect with Leadership Educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss. Laura JB. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at leadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars, as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us.
0: We'd like to thank the James M. Cox, Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in New Strategy and Management.
1: And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience.
0: And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators the Association of Leadership Educators, and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.